Let's start with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, we just give you praise and thanks for your presence this morning. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for walking with us, that your spirit walks with us and teaches us and guides us into all truth. Lord, I pray that captives will be set free this morning. And Lord, we just ask for your tangible presence to be in this room today. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask and pray. Amen. Okay. Um, my name is Adrian Thomas. I've been up here a few times before. Um, we, my wife and I, Mary Thomas, we've been at COS uh, since the fall of 2003. And uh, our kids, oldest, Josiah, next, standing next to Mary over there on the right. Middle is Ethan, and the youngest is Caleb. Uh, all three of them, were the oven temperatures were set at different levels, and we left them in for different periods of time, and so they look a little different from each other. <laughs> so if you see them ruffle their hair, they have a lot more hair than I do, and uh, say hi to them and put them to work if you need anything. Um, the topic that I wanted to uh, discuss today is called Sound Mind. Um, you know, we've been in this church for almost 20 years now. A lot of the folks from the first service especially has mentored Mary and I uh, since, since our early marriage in 2002. And we, we started coming here in 2003. And a lot of folks here have kind of grown up together spiritually with us. Uh, and of course, you have a lot of younger folks now that our kids are rubbing shoulders with each other with. Um, we have a special spiritual heritage in this place. You know, that's what church is about. It's not just Sunday mornings coming together, we do our thing and go home. It's about relationship. Pastor Steve always says that. And COS is all about relationships. Um, and we can trace back periods of our life where we had difficulties where we had this church, together with our family, walk through with us. And it's important to recognize who these folks are. It's also important to recognize who you're called to be in this church and in your life. What is your life calling and what is your assignment? It brings me to, I felt the Lord laid on my heart to talk about Second Timothy chapter 1. This letter is special. Because in this letter, Paul writes from a Roman dungeon, from a prison that you can still visit today if you wanted to. And it's actually his second imprisonment, not his first. The first time he got arrested in Jerusalem, he was taken to Rome. Uh, he, the historians tell us he was actually finally released. But this second one was more dire. The second one led to his final execution. And he knew it when he wrote this letter. He knew what he was going through when he wrote this letter to Timothy. You see, for the first time in church history at this point, the church, the Christians, were going through government-sponsored persecution. Prior to this, it had been religious persecution. But this time, they had the full might of the Roman government behind this acts of persecution. And here's why. They had a madman as an emperor, a young man, 
a man-child named Nero. He was the fifth emperor at this point in time in that dynasty. Um, I think everybody knows the first one was Augustus, right? Tiberius comes next. The crazy Caligula comes after that. Um, And then Claudius and finally Nero. Nero was the great-great-grandson of Augustus. He was the nephew of Caligula. His mother was Caligula's, uh, one of Caligula's sisters. And he was born in a depraved family. Uh, his mother, his father died when he was two years old. So his mother married the previous emperor and convinced him to put Nero as the heir to the throne. And he, he officially adopted Nero at the age of 13. Then the mother had somehow had that emperor killed. Uh, they said that she was behind it. So Nero came to power at the age of 16. Nero, like I said, was a depraved character. You know, he, he, he had a very unhealthy relationship with his mother. Um, he was sexually uh, just deviant. He married two men. One of them he put in a dress on the wedding day. But he had two wives. He killed both of them. He even got his own mother killed eventually. He had crazy games. He considered himself an artist. He came up with artistic games that was just sadistic in nature. This was a madman. No, this was a demon-possessed man. That's who it was. And it was during this time that Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy was in Ephesus. Ephesus was like the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. It goes from Rome to Alexandria to Antioch and Ephesus. So now Nero, I'm sorry, Paul, is writing this letter from a prison cell to Timothy. And here's what's going on. Timothy, at this point, is scared because the numbers in his church is dwindling. It is dangerous to be a Christian. It is dangerous to identify yourself as a Christian. It is dangerous to be associated with the Apostle Paul. See, Paul, some historians state, wasn't actually arrested because he was a Christian. He was actually arrested for the crime of arsony. And you want to know why? What happened in AD 64? They got the Roman government upset. There was a great fire in Rome. It, was, it started in the, in the merchant shops um, right behind the stadium, the south side of the Circus Maximus Stadium, the largest city in Rome. It started on the night of July 18, 64 AD. The fire actually burned for six days at first. They managed to quell it to some extent, but then it lit up again and burned another three days. So a total of nine days the, the fires of Rome continued with much death and suffering. By the end of it all, 10 of the 14 districts had been burned. 70% of the Roman city of Rome had been destroyed. It was said that Nero actually wasn't even in Rome when the fire started. He was in his birthplace, Antium. But as soon as he heard the fire was there, he made a show. He made sure that people noticed that he came back to the city. And he was trying to put in efforts to help the people and stop the fire. But there were also reports that there were groups. There were groups that were actually starting the fire and spreading the fire. 
there were groups of people that were actually not just spreading the fire, trying to stop others from stopping the fire. And so there was a lot of suspicion. Part of the suspicion is because Nero had elaborate plans to rebuild the city of Rome. In his plans that he had submitted to the Senate prior to the fire, he had to tear down the city. He had to tear down a good portion of the city and then rebuild that city. And it was very suspicious. Um, He had plans to build the the roads in marble, wider pathways. He had a plan for his great palace to be on 300 acres. All these plans just worked out nicely right after the fire. And so he was called before the Senate asking. There was a lot of suspicion. Did you start this fire? And he says, no, but I tell you who did. There's this new Jewish sect, he says. They call themselves Christians. They keep talking about fire and damnation that the world will come to an end, the cities will all be burned. And they are, they are a weird group. They eat flesh and drink blood every week. You see, the people of Rome had all these fallacies about Christians. They didn't like them already. And it didn't help that now their emperor was saying that these fires were started by these Christians. Because it just so happened that many of the sectors that didn't get burned, there were a majority of Christians living there. So it was all too convenient for Satan to point his finger on the church. Well, that begun the government-sponsored persecution of the church. And it is in light of this that Timothy is now fearing about how to continue his church. And that people are abandoning him. And Paul begins to write this letter to Timothy. Remember, Paul himself is in prison, about to be executed. Let me tell you a little bit more about um, Nero. He burned the Christians at the stake. To com- the, the crime... The, the, the uh, punishment was to commensurate the crime. They started the fire, so they were going to be burnt. And he started what's called the Roman candle, which is sad today when we go out to a fireworks store, they sell the Roman candle. Well, this is the history of it. The Roman candle was designed for the Christian, and it was designed to, to wrap him up in flammable material and burn the Christian from leg up. It's here that we pick up from our text. Do you all have your Bibles? We all can go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. It, Paul starts out this way. Paul doesn't start out with the current situation with Timothy. He reminds him of his past, of his good past. And this is where he starts out. When I call to remembrance, he says, the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. And I am persuaded that is in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Now let's unpack this two verses here. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith, the authentic faith. 
the genuine faith, the unbreakable faith, the unbendable faith. He says, hey, Timothy, I knew your grandmother and I saw that strong, powerful faith in her. And you know what? She passed on that faith to her daughter, your mother, Eunice. I called, I remember these things. And that same faith, Timothy, I'm convinced is in you also. Because when I laid hands and prayed on you and commissioned you, you were given a gift. You were not only given a calling, you were given a gift to fulfill that calling. See, Paul's reminding him. He's, he's, he's stirring it up. He's telling Timothy, stir up that gift. So, Lewis, by the way, the name of his grandmother means established in truth. And Eunice, his mother's name, means joyous victory. And when he used the words, stir up that gift, he was likening it to taking the poker in a fireplace and stirring up the embers, getting that flame lit again, so that when you put new fuel to it, you put new wood to it, it stirs it up and it lights it up. So in another way, let's paraphrase what he's saying to Timothy here. He says, Timothy... Remember the unbreakable, strong faith of your grandmother that was passed on to your mother and that is now in you. Recount how God has been faithful to your family for generations and he will continue to be faithful to you now in spite of what you're going through. God has given you a spiritual gift, Timothy, and a calling when we laid hands and prayed over you. Stir up that gift again. Breathe life into it once again. That is what he's, that's how he starts his letter to Timothy. Then he proceeds with verse 7, which is the key verse for today. Timothy, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let's unpack that. What does that mean? God did not give you a spirit of fear. Other than the fear of God, if you have any other types of fear in your life, remember this, that is not from God. Any other fear is not of God. It is demonic. And he's telling Timothy, that spirit in you, that's the Holy Spirit, does not give you fear. If you have any kind of fear, it's a demonic fear, a demonic spirit. See, fear puts you in bondage. Romans 8.15 says, For ye have not received a spirit of bondage again to fear. Fear holds us back. It's a trap. Proverbs 29.5 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Fear holds you back from your calling. Fear causes disobedience. It causes you to do things that are out of character. Remember the story of Saul, King Saul and Samuel. God had given instructions to Samuel to pass on to Saul to attack the Amalekites. Why the Amalekites, you say? Well, the Amalekites are descendants of Esau. Esau trusted in his flesh. Esau didn't... He didn't respect the things of God. He just wanted the things for himself, the things of flesh, and depended on himself. The Amalekites are descendants of Esau. 
And the Amalekites also attacked Israel on their journey to the promised land. They didn't, they didn't, they weren't, they didn't play nice. When they attacked Israel, they didn't come face to face with Israel. They attacked them from the back. They attacked the weak ones. They attacked the little ones. They attacked the women. That's what they did. They played dirty. And that's what the enemy does. If you're down and you think the enemy doesn't care about you, guess what? No. He wants to kill you off. It's when you're down, he wants to take you out. He doesn't stop. He's relentless. That's the strategy of the enemy. And God says, I will wipe out the memory of the Amalekites forever. But Saul, he was told to destroy the Amalekites and not keep the spoil, to destroy them all. But Saul kept the spoil. And when Samuel confronted Saul, Saul said, I kept them because I feared the people. He feared man and he disobeyed God and he acknowledged that he disobeyed the commandment of God. Fear steals your calling. You know, Paul later, later down that chapter in verses 11 to 12, he says, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. He knew his calling. He knew what God had called him to become and to do. But he says this, For the which cause I also suffer this thing, these things. He knew the thorn in his side that he received was because of an assignment that Satan gave a demonic spirit because of his calling. It was his calling that the enemy was after. The anointing upon Saul that he was after. If he could just stop him from fulfilling his calling, it not only impacts Saul, but it impacts a whole lot more people, including ourselves today. It was all about the calling. Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. You know, we like to quote this verse, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Actually, more accurately, it says, he comes for no other reason other than to steal and to kill and to destroy, not for any other reason. There's only one reason he's coming out for you, for those three things to do to you. He steals from you, he kills you, and he destroys you. Now, how does this fear get in? How do we let this fear into our life? This demonic spirit seeks open doors. Now you might say, but I'm a Christian. I can't have demons in me. I can't have demonic spirits in me. That doesn't make sense. Well, this is not a question of ownership. You are not owned by the spirit. If you are a Christian, you are owned by God. Period. He's your owner. But now let me ask you a question. If you are renting a home from the owner who is God, and you decide you're going to leave your doors open, your windows open, not just unlocked, but you're going to leave that door fully open, knowing full well that, uh, that there are unscrupulous characters out there in this world. Do you think it's possible that you would get a stranger walking into your home sometime? And if that stranger walks in, what do you think he's doing, coming there for? He's coming to steal, or he's coming to cause harm. 
So you open that door. You're not owned by him. But you got that door open and for that moment he can play havoc in your life. This reminded me of a uh, event that occurred in my life quite a long time ago. Actually in 1989, I was about 14 or 15 years old. And I was talking about demonic spirits coming. Uh, we were fairly new Christians at that time, my family. And I rec- this actually more so occurred to my brother. And I was in the room next door to him. Uh, we, 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 we both had our own uh, bedrooms. And there was an attached bathroom between the two rooms in Malaysia, this is. Um, and I called my brother last night. I said, you know, Mark, I don't want to get this wrong. So I want to make sure I get the, I want to make sure I get your story. Would you mind just quickly typing out what happened? Do you still remember that? He said, yeah, I do. And so he sent, he sent this to me, and I'd like to read this to you as an example of how these spirits try to get in. He starts out this way. He says, when I was in high school, I used to stay up late to study. Sometimes it would be till 2 a.m. or later. It was very quiet and peaceful at these times, ideal for studying, but I don't recommend it anymore. I remember at a particular time there was a disturbance in the quietness of the night. I had been noticing the dogs in our neighborhood getting riled up at a particular time around 1 a.m. every night. Dogs in Malaysia, for the most part, are kept outside the homes. They're more or less guard dogs, and they're not in the homes. He goes on. Many of our neighbors had dogs, and from my room, I had a clear view of the row of houses behind us. The dogs would take turns howling one after another as if they sensed something moving along the street. On one particular night, I started praying just before 1 a.m., expecting the disturbance to begin on time. I knelt at my bedside and began to pray in the spirit. Exactly at 1 a.m., the dogs began their howling, one after another. I could visualize an evil spirit moving up the street and agitating the dogs. As soon as the howling reached the house directly adjacent to ours, the dogs stopped. At that instance, I felt an evil presence in my room. It was as if the spirit had stopped at the house behind ours, looked directly at my room, and jumped straight in. You see, in Malaysia, we had our curtains drawn open. We had our windows open because it was warm, and we didn't have AC back then. And so basically, he was praying, and this thing, the dogs were howling as though he was walking along the houses, and it stopped right in front of his room, right in full view of his room. And then that dog that was howling last stopped. At that moment, he says, I felt an evil presence in my own room. It was as if the spirit had stopped at the house behind us, looked directly in my room, and jumped straight into it. A sudden fear ran chills down my back as I felt it standing right behind me. My room grew cold, and as I sensed its oppressive presence, I was still, I was still kneeling. I continued to pray in the spirit and then in English. The fear in me grew stronger and stronger. 
But then the Holy Spirit stepped in. He reminded me that he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. My Lord and my God was greater and I serve him and him only. And he was faithful to guard and protect me. The Spirit of God came over me. I was filled with courage and strength and most importantly, confidence in the Lord. I stood up and rebuked the Spirit in the name of Jesus. I cast it out of my room and sent it back to where it came from. Honestly, I hadn't done this before and I didn't know if I was doing it correctly or saying the right things. But it didn't matter because it was by the Holy Spirit and I simply obeyed. As soon as I spoke the words out, it was swept away from my room and taken far away from me. It had to leave because Jesus' name is greater than any other. Jesus' name commands over all principalities and powers. This same authority had been given to us by none other than Jesus himself. As the evil spirit was forced to leave, it was not happy. The door of our attached bathroom right next to the same window suddenly slammed shut. That woke my brother up from his sleep, me. And he inquired what was the loud sound. He's being polite here. Because I actually woke up and said, what are you doing? I was angry. It's like it was late and why is he slamming doors, I was wondering. At that time, I didn't want to scare him, so I dismissed it as nothing. But I suspect he knew something was up. That was the last of the disturbances that I noticed. I stayed up well past 1 a.m. for a few nights after that, waiting to see if anything else would happen. But no, the work was complete. It had to be because it was done in the name of Jesus and his power is complete. I give Jesus all glory and honor for his power and majesty. Hallelujah. (laughs) Folks, demons are real. Throughout Christ's ministry, he was casting them out. The spirit of fear, no less, is real. The Apostle Peter gives us a good example of how fear entered him. You see, it was his character to depend on himself and on his flesh. He said, he, he said I will never fail you, Lord. He, he, when the Lord was prophesying and reading Old Testament scripture that showed that they all will disperse, he was saying at that time, no, Lord, I'm not going to do that. He was relying on himself. He was the first one, no doubt, to say, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He was the first one to step out of the boat. There was so much boldness in him. But he was depending on his own flesh and saying, no, I will, I will go with you to the end. Because he had an idea of how the kingdom of heaven was going to become from that point. He didn't think it was going to start with Jesus dying on the cross. He was ready to kill for Jesus. He was probably even ready to die for Jesus to some extent. But he had it built up in his head differently. But when it all came down a different way, something he didn't totally expect, fear got to him. You know, Jesus said, I'm going away. And Peter said, can I come with you? And Jesus said, you can't come now, but you will come after it. Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. You know, Peter even made the statement in front of his friends. 
though they all fall away because of you, I won't, Lord. That was a very prideful statement. I believe that opened a door. I believe him depending on his flesh opened a door. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, before the rooster crows this very night, you will deny me three times. This very night, not many hours left on that night. And Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. Jeremiah 17.5 says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, just like Esau. You know, he did deny him three times. First to the servant girl, who recognized him in the fire and said, You were with him. And he says, Woman, I do not know him. Then a little later, another man says, You are surely one of them. He says, Man, I am not. And a third time, someone insists that he was with him. He says, man, I do not know what you are talking about. When he denied him that third time, at that instance, the rooster crowed. At that very instance. I love this in in Luke 22, verse 61. It says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Here's Jesus being tortured and persecuted. And he had time when the rooster crows to look at Peter. This wasn't a look of condemnation. This was a look of forgiveness, a look of grace. And Peter saw him looking at him. He remembered his words. He went out and wept bitterly. This reminds me of Psalm 32. Psalm 32 was written by King David. After he had sinned with Bathsheba, he had repented. And he had received his forgiveness. And then he wrote Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Whose sin is covered, he says. And he talks about what the Lord says to us. The Lord says, I will instruct you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eyes. The look of grace. I will guide you with my eyes. Oh, Lord. Guide us with your eyes. You know, the Apostle Peter was crucified. But there is a Catholic tradition, and they even established a church named after this tradition. It's called the Domine Covadis. Lord, where are you going? It's the same very question that Peter asked Jesus at the Passover. Before his crucifixion, when Jesus said he was going away, he said, Lord, where are you going? In this tradition, it states that Peter, who was in prison because of Nero, he was arrested. I'm sorry, before he was arrested and in prison, he was in Rome. He had a chance to escape, and he was leaving Rome. On his journey out of Rome, he sees in a vision the Lord Jesus Christ. And he sees him carrying his cross. And he's shocked and surprised. And he asks him the same question. Lord, where are you going? And the Lord responds to him in that vision. I'm going to Rome to be crucified. It was in this instant, according to tradition, that he decided he was going to turn around and head back to Rome. So Peter heads back to Rome. Ultimately, he's arrested. 
And then he's crucified. But he stops them and he says, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord. Crucify me upside down. And so we lost the great apostle on this earth. And now we go back to the story of the other apostle to the Gentiles, Paul. He's exhorting his disciple Timothy, who is the leader in the church in Ephesus. And he says, Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. This power is not just dynamite power. Yes, it is the Greek word dunamis, but it means hurricane force power. He was trying to tell him how powerful your God is and his spirit is in you. This is explosive force of nature power. This is the power of a moving army, an army of angels. He says, that's the power that's in you, resurrection power, the might of an army. And then he goes, and this spirit is the spirit of agapeo, the spirit of the highest level of love. This is the kind of love that, Timothy, I know they've abandoned you, but you can still forgive them. I know things don't work out the way you thought they were supposed to work out, but you can still trust God and love Him. And you don't have this ability to love Him on your own. You can only do it with the love of the Holy Spirit of God in you, the agape love. You know, what did, when Peter, when Peter was, uh, Restored. What did Jesus say to him when you get restored? When you return, Peter, what was his main commissioning to Peter? He said, strengthen your brethren. See, Jesus was always thinking about us. He said, when you, Peter, I prayed for you. He says, but when you return, strengthen your brethren, he says. The last thing which is probably the most crucial part that I want to emphasize today. God has given us a spirit of a sound mind. The most common generic understanding of this is having a good understanding and having good judgment. But you know, later on, he clues us in in verse 13. He says, hold fast to the pattern of sound words. Sound words, a pattern of sound words. Sometimes we can get in a rut. We get into a pattern of negative talk. Negative words, and that affects our mind. If you have healthy words, that's the word that's actually used as well. The sound words, the word for sound here is healthy. If you use healthy words, you will have a healthy mind, a pattern of sound mind. I remember um, about in 2012, I can't remember, and when we were, when the church was wanting to build this facility, expand the church. I honestly was selfish. I wanted the church to stay small because it worked well for my family. And so I didn't understand this growth and how fast this church was growing. And I was having a pattern of negative thoughts and was being critical of the church leadership unfairly. And that's my confession today. And the Lord got a hold of me. And there was something... When the Lord got a hold of me, I repented. And he moved me so deeply that I wanted to put something into this. Something that meant a lot to me. And I had one of my most treasured possessions. 
And I don't mean people. I don't mean my wife and my family. I mean something that I was holding in my hand. See, my mom had passed away in, in 2011. When I was 21 years old, many years ago, she had saved up money from selling cakes, and she had bought me a gold necklace. That was one of my most treasured possessions. And I kept it, and I always remember when she gave it to me. And I was so moved by the Lord and so convicted that I said, Lord, I'm going to give this to the church for this new building. And I put it in a white envelope, and I put it in the offering box. And when I did that, I felt a release, a healing of my mind. And I saw how this church has blessed my family. I planted my heart into this church. Little did I know that I will be speaking in front here someday because I didn't do that back then. But it broke that pattern of negative thinking. A sound, sound words produces a sound mind. Let's unpack this some more. We're not done with the, a sound mind. A sound mind comes from a Greek uh, compound word. It's called sophronismos. And it's made of two words, sozo and proneo. Proneo is your intelligence, your mind, your thinking. But sozo is the same word as you always hear, repent and be healed, repent and be saved. Sozo means to be saved to be healed, to be delivered. A sound mind means a mind that is saved, a mind that is healed, and a mind that is delivered. A mind that is set free. In fact, the same compound word is actually used in Mark 5 with the man from Gadara that had the legion of demons in him. A legion is like 6,000 demons. He came after the Lord, bowed down and said, what are we to do with you? The demons were speaking out. And the Lord cast those demons out. And it says after he cast those demons out, the men of the town or the city came to them. And he found the man, they found a man that was demon-possessed to be of a sound mind. He was set free. And that's why we need to be set free today from our fears. Remember when Paul wrote this letter, he was about to be executed. And Paul was not long after, maybe within two years of writing this letter. Because he was a Roman citizen, he couldn't get crucified. And so he was beheaded. Timothy, on the other hand, lived to be 80 years old. He actually was in prison later, but he was released. He continued to be the leader in the church in Ephesus. But when he was 80 years old, there was a pagan festival to the goddess Diana. The pagan goddess Diana. And they were having wild parties out there. And Timothy went out and chastised the crowd. And he preached the gospel to them. And the mob got violently angry. They got a hold of him, dragged him on the streets, beat him, and finally stoned him to death. These are our forefathers who died for our faith. This is what real persecution is. I want to close reminding you of your spiritual heritage with a testimony of my family. 
The last time I was up here, I talked about our home going through major renovations because my in-laws moved in from Birmingham uh, in the summer of last year. The renovations completed in October. Now, my youngest son, Caleb, he had asked me if he could get baptized by his papa, just like his two older brothers and when they were his age. See, his papa was a missionary He was a pastor. He was a school principal. He was a Christian educator. He had baptized many people, um, both in the U.S. and in South America. And and he wanted to baptize Caleb too. And I had I was the one that delayed that decision. And I we we sort of sort put it off. Maybe we'll do it this summer. Well, that picture that you see on the bottom right over there was our our picture together at Christmas time. Around Christmas time or right after Christmas, his health turned for the worse. On January 13, it was a Friday, the ambulance took him to a Central Baptist Hospital here in Lexington from Harrodsburg. And when, when, the, when he went in on Friday, we were for sure, we, we, we felt that he was going to get better and come home. Saturday and Sunday, he was not too bad, doing okay talking, a little jovial, uh, but by the time Sunday night came along and Monday, he struggled to breathe, and we were told his systems were shutting down, and we had to consider palliative care. I came in on that Monday morning, and he had a rough night. He struggled to breathe. He was trying to breathe through the oxygen mask, and he talked. He tried to talk a lot. He gave me a lot of affirmation that, quite honestly, I, I was blessed with as his son-in-law. I recorded a lot of it. But he also told me some things that were special to me. Like, for example, we've, we've always talked about the Holy Spirit. You know, he comes from the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. So we have some slight differences there. But for the most part, we believe the same thing. But he started telling me, he said, the Holy Spirit is real to me. And he started talking about the Asbury Revival in 1970. He was part of it. He said when he opened the door to that hallway, to that chapel, he said it, he felt like he was hit, like Saul on the horse to Damascus. He said he felt the Holy Spirit all over him. And it was washing and washing and washing him. And he said, I was confessing all my sins that I could think of. He said it impacted him. He had a, he had a, it had a huge impact in his life. And then he makes a statement, Adrian, I know the Holy Spirit. Then after he talked about that, and this is, mind you, this was before the latest revival happened in Asbury. Maybe two to three weeks before then. Right after that, he also talks to me about wanting to baptize my youngest son, Caleb. And he says, I wanted to be here to baptize him this summer, but I don't think that's going to happen. In fact, he said, I'm not sure if I can hold on much longer till, till the evening when Mary's sisters would arrive, one from Montana, one from Florida. 
But he really expressed that desire that he wished he had a chance to baptize Caleb. Because that was his calling. That was his life's calling. He was called to be a pastor. He was called to be a missionary. He was called to be an educator. All the way to the very end, he still had that yearning. He had something unfinished. My mother-in-law asked me, who's with us today, um, my mother-in-law asked me if it would be okay if we did a um, sprinkling baptism for Caleb. I said, sure. She said, we can do the immersion later. I said, sure, we'll do that. And so we told my father-in-law, David, we're going to baptize Caleb in the hospital room tonight. And he said, okay. He, he said, bring my file, my folder. It had all his notes, all the scripture, and had the baptismal certificates. So we brought it in the evening. Mary's sisters arrived by that point in time. One sister read the scriptures. The other sister held my father-in-law's hands as he placed them on Caleb, as he poured that water on his head. And he said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You know, Caleb was struggling at that time because he was losing his papa. But he managed to have to give us a smile after he was baptized by his, by his papa. And his papa laid his hands on him. Remember the, your Christian heritage, the faith in your parents or grandparents. Or remember the faith in your spiritual parents. Remember what Eunice meant and Lois meant, established in truth and joyous victory. You can see the certificate over there. It says, presented to Caleb Christopher Thomas. Christopher meaning bearer of Christ's name. And the pastor of sign, Reverend David A. Brown. Papa. And he wrote it twice. Papa. And this is something that Caleb will cherish for the rest of his life. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? At his memorial service, the ten grandchildren, the youngest being Caleb, we call him the caboose, prayed for their grandmother and blessed their grandmother. Remember where God found you. And where he brought you. Go back to your beginnings of your faith. The Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13 says. Therefore take up the full armor of God. That when the day of evil comes he says. Stand your ground. When you have done all you can do to stand, when the enemy puts everything on you, when the enemy is kicking you down, just stand and stand firm because you have the spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. Worship team, if you would come up, please. We'll start, we'll start praying real quick. I want to pray for folks that need a release from the spirit of fear this morning.
And I want to pray for folks that just want to be broken free of any spirit of bondage this morning. And the prayer team will come forward. It doesn't have to be me. It can be any one of these, these, these folks here that can pray for you. We're going to pray together first and then come up for more prayer. And let's stay as long as you need to to do business with God. Get set free. Walk in your calling. The, the Lord's already given you the gift to walk in your calling. Continue to walk in that calling. Stir up that gift today. Father, we just give you praise and thanks today. We thank you today. Oh, hallelujah. If there's anybody in the crowd right now that does not have this Christian heritage today, that wants to become a Christian today, that wants to give his life to the Lord Jesus Christ today, right now, the lights are dim. No one is looking. Lift your hands. Lift your hands high up and say, Lord Jesus, I receive you. Is there anybody that wants to receive him? Just lift your hands up and we'll pray together. Lift your hands and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Cleanse me. Come into my heart and become the Lord of my life. I confess you as the Lord who died for me and the Lord who was raised from the dead for me. I praise you and I give you my life in Jesus' name. And right now, anybody that wants to be broken of the spirit of fear, raise your hands. Raise your hands. Raise your hands. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I break the spirit of fear over you. I break it in Jesus' name. Be gone. Whatever doors are open, be closed in the name of Jesus. And we plead the blood of Jesus over you right now. Right now in Jesus' name. Be free. Be free. And just like the book of Zechariah says and the book of Jude says, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. In Jesus' name, be gone from their lives. They belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. to share this this Sunday, which I feel like was a very timely word from the Lord for our body, but for me as well, and some circumstances that I've been facing. And I'm so thankful for what he shared this morning. And as I shared it with Carrie, who's leading us this week, um, she had just been in her car listening to this song, and it's called Sound Mind. And it's basically just singing scripture. The whole chorus is scripture. And the word of the Lord is powerful. It is living and active. So I pray that as we sing this over you, if you know it and you're singing along, that we can declare the word of the Lord over one another today. Amen. Let's stand and worship.
touching everyone here. Lord, I just sing this out one more time. A sound mind for a spirit of fear. Sound mind so that I can see clearly. Sound mind, your spirit is here. Sound mind, sound
if you feel like you need prayer and something God is just speaking to your heart and you feel like you need a touch from him today, please, we are still going to be up here praying. And so please come and get prayer. And you are dismissed at this time. You can go get your children. And I pray you have a blessed day. joining us today online at Church of the Savior. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.